Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Show, where we talk with some of the world's most forward-thinking, influential CEOs and other top business leaders to learn about leadership experiences and how they're building world-class organizations. Brought to you by Warrior Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spence Taylor. You are in for a treat today. I'm so fortunate to have as our special guest on this episode, Martin Christopher Mangello, who is the CEO at U.S. Presidential Service Center. We're going to hear more about him, more about that, what he's been up to in the past. Uh, lots of amazing stories to tell from his life experiences. Marty, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yep. I want to uh, just start with kind of the a few of the headlines of your life. I know that's a big ask because you've had lots of different uh, experiences, including military service, working at the White House, uh, just some amazing things you've done. Uh, we can even go back further than that if you would like. It's completely at your discretion. I'd love to just kind of have some of those headlines so our guests can get to know who you are. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is I'm trying to impress myself with my own leadership on a daily basis. Uh, daily basis. So, you know, being a White House chef for many years and a presidential aide uh, was pretty interesting. Of course, veteran is an awesome title to me. Um, anybody that is a veteran, we're about one out of 10 humans in our citizenry, uh, which has inflated to about 360 million uh, citizens in America. So the one out of 10 is awesome. I'm also retired. I'm a retired veteran. That gets a little more difficult. It's about one out of 4,000 citizens are retired. And I love math. So um, I'm a visual mathematician. That's another fun title. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I'm a dad. I love being a dad and a father to a son and a daughter. And I think that's a super important title. And uh, I'm, I'm always an advocate for the poor, the needy, the hungry, and an advocate for God. Um, I often, when I pray to God, I pray for actually for God. I, I often mention, you know, I'm thinking about you and your needs. And very rarely do I ever ask mm. and burden God. Mm. So I'm an advocate for the poor, needy, and hungry. Always have been. And uh, love God. I think uh, God is awesome. So. In, in all the different names that God has. So Yah, Yah, Yahweh, Allah, you know, I'm a practitioner of, of world faiths. And I think that's very important on earth too. What a great way to start things off. I love that. So uplifting. I love your comment around being a, a dad as one of the, I think probably the most important titles of, of life is, is being, well, I guess tied to family in general, whether that's husband, father, you know, th those titles, I think uh, we could put as, as most important. Now, I'd love to hear more about your, uh, I, I was intrigued when we first met, you told me you were a nuclear submariner early on. Is that, That's is that true, accurate? True. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think some of the other titles, you know, that I often fail to mention are really important. I'm a bankrupt. That's an awesome title to have. Mm, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm also divorced and I remarried. So I, I achieved that title. Um, I, a very important title to me, I actually achieved the title of loser. Um, I became a loser. And, uh, and that was one of the hardest lessons I ever had to learn, becoming a loser. Um, I still have friends that fight me to this day. I'm, I'm like, dude, just embrace it. It's okay that you're a winner now. I'm a winner now, but 
for every peak, bro, there's a valley. Just embrace it. I'll never, I'll never tell people that I will. I'm, I'm like, okay, bro, it's, it's cool. Keep on hiding that from everybody. But you, you could be up on the top of the mountain. I don't care. You've got enough food and you've got ammunition and you're shooting down birds and eating. You're going to run out of ammo or food eventually. You will come down for every mountain. There is a valley. Hmm. And that was a like one of life's toughest lessons for me to learn. It, it didn't matter that I was an explorer, an inventor, um, you know, that I had been to the North Pole inside a nuclear submarine, that I rode white Arabian horses across the desert or camel caravans and, and all the other cool stuff I did. Um, becoming a loser sucked. And it was very difficult to understand what was happening. So uh, that is one of the titles I should also bring up. Well, I, I'm so intrigued and excited that you brought it up because as you kind of illustrated, um, there are certain stigmas tied to any any failure title, I guess you could say, that are often swept under the rug or whatever whatever metaphor we want to use there, but not celebrated. And I completely agree with you that, I mean, failure is just part of the equation. If you're going to live life at all, unless you just sit on your couch and somehow you're able to survive, which I don't think that can happen very long <laughs> and it's not, yeah. not a life at all. Um, then you're going, like you say, you're going to, there's this, uh, law of opposites or law of, uh, reciprocation or whatever you want to call it, right. Of, of being at the top and then being at the bottom. So I, I just am so thankful you brought that up. W what gave you that, uh, clarity that it's not only okay, but actually very valuable to talk about it instead of kind of following the status quo of like, Oh yeah, I've failed in the past, but I'm going to keep that off the notes. Yeah. I had an Indian friend. He was, he was sitting on a board of uh, directors with me. He was a fellow vice president. And he said one day, yeah, but we know that the definition of fail, F-A-I-L, is fortunate attempt in learning. That is definition in fail. And I was just like, bro, <laughs> what? And I had to like write that down. And, and that was a clarifying moment for me that Stop trying to be in the arena at Circus Maximus with two swords in each hand, and you're you're not going to kill and slay everything and have, you know, 50,000 people. It's just not going to happen all the time. You have got to learn how to fail. And when he said fortunate attempt in learning, then that to me translated to I win every time. So even if I fall full frontal face forward, smash and bloody my nose, you know, you got to get back up. It's perfectly fine to drip blood down on your white shirt. I don't care if it's if, if whatever. It's a Brooks Brothers $180 shirt. You can put on a new shirt um, and, and fix things and start again tomorrow. So, yeah, it just was very difficult for a person like me that had been nothing but a pure adrenaline rush for 38, 39 years. Wow. Oh, it's, it's incredible. I, I, I again, just uh, celebrating what you're saying, uh, just had the thought come to me as you're just uh, sharing your wisdom that when I think that the trap is when we correlate our value with the level of acceptance of others, and then when we are no longer accepted by others, our value is diminished or even completely lost. I think that's the that's the trap. That's wow. the danger is that we, we attribute our self-worth and self-value with acceptance of the crowd or the bank or even the spouse or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and that, that external 
uh, correlation of value, I think, is, is the danger. And, and rather than that, like you said so beautifully at the beginning, as we recognize that we're all equal ultimately under God, man, that is that is such a different way of looking at Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, Dr. Andrew Stotts, um, in one of his recent shows out of Thailand the other day, he was mentioning also, it's okay to lose and to lose people's money. Um, mm. That is fine. Investors' money, as long as you don't defraud them. But there's lots of businesses that open on earth all the time and they actually suck and lose everybody's money, which, you know, they signed all the paperwork. I'm a savvy investor. I'm an accredited investor. I understand the risks. Um, This is about a 40, 60 percent shot, 60 that it's not going to work, 40 that it might. It might be the next Amazon. It might be the next Uber, the next Lyft, the next Apple. Okay, Um, but, you know, they accept the risks and they're a savvy investor and they have their investments protected, you know, through write offs or or their portfolio. Um, He said, no, I mean, if you defraud people illegally, that is not cool, but it is okay in life and during your time here to lose people's money. And I never heard anybody say that until about two weeks ago, that it's okay to do that. But actually, (laughs) it is. It is. I've invested in stuff myself and it sucked and I lost that that investment. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, just like this failure principle, it's got to be part of the equation. I mean, that, that's why it's called an investment, right? It's not called a guarantee. Mm-hmm. It's called, you know, you have to measure the risk reward dynamic and decide whether it's it's OK to to uh, roll those dice, so to speak. So, yeah, I, I love that you put it that way. And that can be applied in so many different ways. Well, so. I'm sure this is probably one of the most common threads of, of questioning that, that you're presented with, but I'd uh, love to hear some of the highlights of your time at the White House and interacting with different first families. And you told me some just uh, magnificent stories off the air uh, of some of those encounters. And what, what are the ones that, I guess, the, the ones in particular that stand out to you as somehow tying back into leadership principles of uh, whether that was something you observed in the president, his family, um, whatever it might have been, uh, what can you teach us there from your experiences? Yeah, I, th- I think one that was super cool to me, um, you know, was the invitation to come down and learn from Dr. Stephen Covey at the White House. And uh, the Clintons invited him to present for the military, the White House military office, a special invitational, you know, thing with Dr. Stephen Covey. So, Um, I was actually the only one that that went that day from the Camp David Resort. And and they would often come across the, the, you know, the radio channel with these opportunities. You know, Mm -hmm. would anybody like to go to the Kennedy Center, all expense, you know, paid free tickets. And and so I would go and do stuff like that and and always raise my hand. Would anybody like to work at night and cook for a U.S. state dinner? I would go around and ask all the chefs. Hey, the White House is going to have a state dinner. How'd you like to come down to D.C. and cook with me? And all the time, whenever I did these leadership opportunities to engage in in extended leadership, you know, things, um, the answer was always like kind of weird, you know, uh, for the thing to cook a state dinner. Now, who wouldn't want to go to the White House, work behind the scenes and cook a state dinner? You know, yeah. whether, whether it's the country of Italy that was visiting one night with President Oscar Luigi Scalforo and his daughter, the Italian-American state dinner. And, and, you know, all those kinds of people come. John Bon Jovi, a very famous Italian-American, Sophia Loren, Joe Gargiola, Paul Tagliabue, the NFL commissioner, you know, Gay Talese. The, the list is on and on and on and on of all the famous stars that are coming. Um, and, and, and all the chefs all told me, 
oh man, at night and driving down to DC and, and how long is it? I'm like, well, you know, these things go until like 10, they have entertainment after, you know, with, with famous singers and artists come and, and, you know, play music. I remember when, when the Rolling Stones came to the white house and, and Mick Jagger played for president Obama. It's like, Holy heck, the, the level of stars, bro, who come to these events, you know, and play after. But it goes in answer to your question, like till 10, 11 at night. By the time we drive back, it'll be 12, 31 in the morning. It's a long drive, you know, back up to the mountains. And and everybody was always like, nah, I mean, it's hard enough alone doing a full day of work. And then we'd have to be back the next day. And I was like, all right, man, you must be crazy. But anyway, I'm going, you know, so... And, you know, the Kennedy Center, like I went to the Kennedy Center. So now imagine how many military live around D.C. It's tens of thousands, okay, that are stationed around D.C. So I go into the Kennedy Center for this event. And, oh, my gosh, I was the only enlisted person at the event. Now, I did not know that, okay? So naturally, I was Navy, right? So I'm wearing the the, the big bell bottoms. I've got the traditional Navy top on with the flap on the back. I've got a white Dixie cup for a hat, you know, all the stuff that a regular enlisted person would wear. Well, I was the only enlisted person there. And there was like every admiral that you could think of in general. And holy heck, this guy come running over to me because he was overly excited to see me. He was the senior enlisted person in the Navy, the master chief petty officer of the Navy. I looked at his arm, his left arm. It had the the four stars on the left arm, you know, or the, the I'm sorry, the uh, the three stars. I was like, holy heck, are you the Mikpon? He's like, I am. What's your name, Sailor? He was like super excited. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's like, you must be the only enlisted person here. I was like, I think I am, Master Chief. <laughs> Just, you know, and the same thing with, with Dr. Covey. You know, he wrote the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He went on to write the book, The Eighth Habit, many books that he wrote. You know, when they said, come on down to the White House and be taught personally by Stephen, it was like, you must be insane. Well, Stephen had come up to Camp David one night and also one of my my butlers come into the kitchen and said, hey, 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 in addition to this, this Covey guy, there's a giant that just showed up. He's like seven foot tall, dude. I've never met somebody who's seven foot tall. I was like, get out of here. So I went over to the one-way mirror. I'm, I'm looking out there. I'm like, oh, my God, bro. When you said Mr. Robbins, you didn't say it was Tony Robbins. <laughs> What's he doing here? So, you know, it's like it's like these are they're like, oh, well, they called him and said the president wants to talk to him. And you know what he said? I'm like, no, what did he say? He said, which president from which company? Which one is it? No, 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 no. It's the president. And you know what he said? I'm like, no, no, no. Were you in the office? Go ahead. Because president has an office, you know, up at Camp David also. He's like, so he's, he, Mr. Robbins said, um, it's not my party. They're not from my party. Okay. I'm like of a different flavor. So I don't know if I can really help this Democrat. He's like, no. That's part of the problem. They're looking at a failed presidency with failed leadership and mm. failed management with the Clintons are very concerned. And them and Newt Gingrich are getting it on with smearing each other and blacking each other's faces, eyes, back and neck. 
And this mudslinging and rock throwing and baseball bat beatings are not working anymore. Mm. So we're looking at failed leadership with a failed four years. And it's been about a year now when this is happening. And so they are convening to try to figure out how they can begin to change things and get along. And, and look what happened. Look what happened from, from that behavior between Newt Gingrich and the, the Democratic president. We had the most prosperous time in like 40 years, and, and, and they spent so much money. You know, Newt will often tell you, or Bill will tell you, like, we didn't know what to spend money on anymore. We had bought every single toy we wanted, mm-hmm. and we had also paid off every bill that we had. And we still, at the end, delivered an $86 billion surplus to the American people. Wow. So that was the Gingrich, you know, Clinton legacy of of stopping the tomfoolery in leadership and learning how to make concessions. You're not going to give up your principles or agree to do everything, but you are going to, to make concessions and move things forward. We're not asking people to give up their religion. We're not asking them to say, okay, I'm for abortion now. We're, we're not. We're not. There's things you're never, ever, ever, never going to give up. But we can figure out what we can do to make this country better and stop smearing each other and blackening faces and lighting people on fire because it's not very effective, as you know. It's not mm-hmm. very effective. Yeah, wow. And, and those are some of the coolest things that I learned about leadership. You know, just watching these people on the inside stay up until two in the morning talking and figuring out what are we going to do. So fascinating. You know, there's so much of this that uh, this is mind blowing. One of the things that sticks out to me goes back to kind of when you first began this last segment. Um, you and I share military service in common, at least for me, when I first got in. I know we were a little bit different uh, time frame, but um, one of the pieces of advice I received fairly early on was keep your head down, stay off the radar, never volunteer for anything. It's just going to get you into, into trouble. Like there's nothing good on the other side of that door. And I ignored that. Um, and you clearly have ignored that in your life, whether you received that in uniform or not, I don't know. But compare that, you know, contrast that with your powerful example of making sacrifices to go and have these transformative experiences where you're sitting at the feet of people like Dr. Covey and, and inter, in, hearing this and being part of this experience with Tony Robbins and the world leaders and major resolutions that lead to billion, multi-billion dollar uh, outcomes. Anyway, it, it's like you would not have enjoyed any of that had you sure. followed that never volunteer for anything, keep your head down idea. Yeah. And it's like, regardless if you hate Republicans or you hate Democrats or you hate both of those parties because you're a libertarian or you're a green party, it's like, Whatever you hate, Gingrich. You hate Clinton. Whatever, it's all cool, man. But but we all need to figure out how to get along with each other and and figure like what are we able to agree on and what are we just never going to talk about. Let's make an honest, open list, you know. But then let's work on the things that we think we can solve because it is possible to be very successful when you have that philosophy. And and that's no different in a company today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more with that. Well, so I'm, I'm kind of wondering what, what did, in your opinion, what is that? I guess we, we, we could, I think, very appropriately characterize it as a leadership attribute. What is the leadership attribute that distinguishes the, the life that you've lived and the way that you pursued opportunity and been willing to make sacrifices 
with the opposite? Like, what is the distinguishing variable? Can you can you help us there? It's really quite simple. President Obama used to say it a lot. You can you can disagree, but you don't need to be disagreeable. That's it. Hmm. It's cool to disagree. You know, and and the other one, honestly, a dude that we served one night, he slept over at the house, um, but he had this crazy philosophy with with Apple. And and this is, of course, you know, Steve Jobs, who was thrown out of Apple because he was an idiot and had nothing to offer the corporation anymore. And then they went back to him and begged him to come back. Would you please? We will prostate ourselves, you know, full frontal, flat face forward on the ground for you to please come back. Mm, (laughs) And, and so, so, you know, he used to say crazy stuff like, you know, we hire people to come here to work at Apple to tell us what they're going to work on, not for us to tell them what to do. And, and most leaders find that type of attitude to be quite revulsing and sickening. You know, you are here to work on the company's objectives and how dare you ever say, well, this is the CEO of the first trillion dollar company on earth. Now, everybody will say that. Oh, yeah, yeah. We want to be a billion dollar company. And then sometimes they'll tell me, Marty, we're already bringing in about 800 billion per annum. It's like, okay, we want to be a trillion dollar. We're trying to to become a trillion dollar company, you know, and it's like, well, if you want to do that then, you know, you have to, to practice certain things. You have to practice certain things. Yeah. I'm thinking about those, just those micro behaviors that lead to magnificent outcomes, I guess it is kind of the overall thought I have. I love this latest point along those same lines that just this example of Steve Jobs philosophy of hiring people to come here to tell us what they're going to work on. There's so much of uh, there have been many companies, I think, that have made similar like positive changes uh, in that direction of like role redesign, for example, when someone new comes into a role rather than like, here's your job. It's like, what are you good at? Like, where are your strengths and, and how can you apply those here to benefit yourself as a, a valued member here? And of course, to benefit the organization and whoever the customer is that we're serving. Uh, so there is some of that, but it's like a tiny percentage, I think, relative to the whole. What do you think it's going to take? I mean, what does it take to lead to global change um, in any way? Again, I'm asking you that question because you have this unique vantage point of of having sat at the feet and, and worked, rubbed shoulders with global leaders. So what have you noticed? Like, what does it really take to achieve that level of game-changing evolution? Yeah, the real game-changer is in full swing right now. So um, we're very lucky that this time on Earth, within our history, that we're seeing full game change occurring. And and it doesn't matter if you're Republican Party or Democratic Party or what your party is, they're all pretty much on the same path. And that path is is nice to see that they're all embracing it, they're all pushing it, they're all advocating it. And so what we're, we're mostly identifying that with is women speaking out loud and uttering noise out of their throat, um, whether it's in a leadership position, running a corporation, or women in, in religious faiths and whatnot, or, or women up on stage. So um, this is a huge thing, having mm-hmm. ladies helping make the earth better and, and making business better. And then the other one really, honestly, is the diversity push, which again, it's so nice to see all the parties, pretty much all of them are all into diversity, 
minority inclusion. And, you know, that's what it takes to create and to have innovation. Because I often, you know, tell people, you know, I don't care what jeweler you go to. You love Tiffany's. You love Bulgari. It doesn't matter to me. When you go in there, that beautiful diamond, okay, for 18000 the ring, that actually doesn't come out of the earth like that. It comes out of the Congo. It's a rough, and it gets put on a lathe. And when it does, sparks fly all over the place. So you're not going to get beauty and art and innovation without sparks. And if you want that with diversity, you've got to, and this is the difficult part that we're facing right now, you have got to stop hiring for the fit. Stop interviewing people and saying like, you know, oh, yeah, well, they would really fit in here well with our culture. Hey, here's an idea. Screw your company culture. Okay, how about having something like that? If you want innovation and redesign, well, that's what Apple did. That's what Amazon did. That's what Lyft did. That's what Airbnb did. That's what Uber did. That's every time we turn around. That's what Bill Gates did. Okay, he wrote Windows. He created a whole brand new, the computing machine, the home computing machine and handheld phones where we could talk like Star Trek with each other from space down to the planet. You know, this is where this all came from. So so now when you're hiring, not only do I ask my people when when we go to hire them, I tell them, look, most people are going to work nowadays at 30 different places during their lifetime. That's just a fact. So why don't we plan before we hire you for your exit today? Hmm. Let's write what your recommendation letter says together. And they're hmm. astounded. They're like, but you haven't even hired me yet. I'm like, but let's put in there what it says for when you're leaving because you're hmm. not going to stay here forever. And that was another huge one from Steve Jobs. Make it so wonderful where they work that they don't want to leave, but make it possible that they can anytime they feel like it. But if it's awesome enough, they won't want to. Okay. So that is every day incumbent upon you as a leader, these epaulets up here and the gold scrambled eggs and all that stuff on the visor, you have to earn your respect every day from the 18 year old. And that was one of my huge philosophies as a senior enlisted leader Every day I earned my respect from today's 18-year-old. And, and I had a lot of crusty chiefs walking around. Hey, yeah, how about beep, 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 beep to that philosophy? And I tell some punk what to beep do. Yeah. And, we, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, dude, like you are the original dinosaur, bro. I don't need to explain anything to an enlisted person. I'll just tell them to beep, 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 beep. <laughs> And how about they like that? I'm like. No, dude, that's not how things work. It's not really good, bro. Okay. You, you got to get off that. Okay. Um, that's honestly what a lot of think people think their company is all about. And they don't want really innovation, which means they don't want money. They want to settle for being like a ho-hum $80 million a year company. And that's all they're ever going to be. Because when I tell them, like, what you need to do is you need to hire a black dude who's got dreadlocks and comes in here with a motorcycle jacket on and sits around the table as a vice president. And then I want to get like a 90 pound little Indian lady with a red dot in her forehead. She's going to be a VP. And then I want to, they're like, it would be chaos, Marty chaos. I'm like, 
Yeah, chaos, like sparks flying all over the room to get that $18,000 diamond for your wife or the next $100 million yacht. This is what we need for innovation. Well, I absolutely just love the disruptive nature of your thinking. Again, I think that's a great way to to categorize it because it it does cause the traditionalists uh, to feel that rush of anxiety, but it's exactly what we need. There's the old saying that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, I think insanity is actually doing the same thing over, over and over again and expecting the same result. Like it's just we have to be doing things differently on a consistent basis not just like one time and then, okay, we did that. And that's in the past. It's got, it's the world we live in now, the pace of change, Absolutely. the pace of technology, the flow of information. I mean, it's, it's just the reality. So we've got to embrace that. And, and you know what you get when you hire for the fit, you get little cookie cutter, you know, replicas of you. Yeah. So you're the CEO. Everyone's afraid to challenge you, even if all the doors are closed and they say, look, honest to God, in today's board meeting, I want at least three to four people to tell me off or to to tell me that the next move we're going to make is dumb. Or if we put like four million into this, that I want to hear all the bad. Well, everyone's terrorized. You know, it's like my check, man, and I have kids and a mortgage. There's no way I'm going to tell Roger off in front of 11 other VPs. I don't care if the doors are closed or not. It's like, no, but I'm asking, please. Tell me to my face without a lie. Stop being a yes man. Yeah. Okay. Well, no one will do it. I'm like, because, because, because you have got this HR director who is hiring everyone for the fit mm-hmm. for your company culture. That's why they, 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 I go to the meeting, honestly, and I didn't say anything because you asked me to just tell you privately afterwards. But everyone in that room is afraid of you. And they're all hoping they don't get fired by telling you off in front of others. They won't even tell you off in private. If I if I bring John in here right now, he's already told me he completely disagrees with, with putting this money into the investment for the iron ore out of Germany and to do this with the assembly in China and the finishing of the product. And he already completely disagrees with it in, in Connecticut and the distribution into Costco and Coles. Completely disagree. If I bring him in here right now, he will probably say the exact opposite. He's like, I'd like to see it. Let's do it. I'm like, I guarantee you he will. (laughs) Now he's told me the dangers of this supply chain and all types of stuff. Um, He gives it about an 80-20. He gives it an 80-20? I'm like, yeah, like 20% chance that it'll work. (laughs) Why isn't he talking to? I'm like, because you keep on doing this hiring for the fit. The cookie cutter people that look like you with the red tie and the suit, they all have perfectly cut hair. You think I look inappropriate with my hair right now and you're looking right at me, okay? This is the problem. This is the problem. You will not allow people to be themselves. And so you're always going to be lied to. It's a life of lies and a company of lies. And yes, people. So how fun is this? I urgently want people to take action based on what you've shared with us. So what, what would you recommend as one clear action step that leaders listening can grab hold of and go and deploy in their world, in their organization, at whatever level they're leading right now? Yes, it's got to be stop hiring for the fit. I love that. Hire for, you know, people that are going to come in and be honest and tell you the truth. Now, remember, they don't need to be disagreeable and insulting and denigrating. That is not cool, okay? But to honestly disagree with others in the meeting and allow sparks to fly around the table and and 
you know, they used to say this a lot. They tried this with the headhunters and you pay them 30% of the first year's salary. And so Apple did this for many years and they're, you know, we're looking, Steve would say like, you know, we were looking for a certain vice president remunerated at three to 500 per annum. You know, this was the, the going rate for this position. We went through like four or five people that the headhunter sent over. We paid the 30% of the first year's salary. No problem on a retained search. We would do retained search all the time, okay? Or contingency, you know, we pay a little bit more, maybe 35% of first year's salary. We would pay them the $150,000 finder's fee, and we would get them in, and they sucked. Hmm. They sucked. We would fire them. And, you know, they were like, well, according to our contract, um, Steve, we will provide somebody else, a second person within nine. He's like, thanks. We read it. We, we, we know it. Just keep the money. Keep the 150 grand. But honestly, we won't be using you again because the candidate sucked. Hmm. Now, you turn that around and look at what, what it was on paper was the perfect pedigree. Who did they end up hiring? If, if you read these stories from Apple and Amazon, they ended up hiring a school teacher. She was used to dealing with children that argued in their desks and stuff back and forth and, and pulling each other's hair and all this stuff, fist fighting in the schoolyard. She was the most successful leader that they ever had for, for all the production of the iPhones today. Hmm that you see today. Um, she just went around. They said she was so congenial. She coordinated everything and she sapped wounds and angered tempers and, and any disruption. And they were like, you know, now we would have never ever hired her because she had no pedigree hmm. within infrastructure, within assembly, within supply lines from Asia, within battery understanding and technology. She had never worked in technology. But this is where they learned their lesson to stop hiring perfect pedigree resumes that everybody thinks are going to be the perfect fit. Mm -hmm. Well, I love the illustration and it just, uh, I, I hope, creates the same urgency in our listeners as, as I feel in hearing again the story. You can, you can lay that action item out there by itself and it's like, well, that might make some sense. But with the stories behind it, it's like, oh, man, I got to do that right now. <laughs> I got to quit that. Quit the hiring for fit. Start hiring people who will challenge look you. At, look at what Lowe's did recently. Lowe's, you know, uh, created by by Carl Buchan, a very famous Army guy. Um, Lowe's is doing fantastic Lowe's home stores. Their, their vice president of marketing, they just hired her from Taco Bell. Hmm. And everybody said, like, you know, well, what? She doesn't have any experience at all in home hardware or or anything in construction or they're like, yeah, but she can sell anything. She can market and promote and publicize and advertise. She mm -hmm. is a success. So if you can do that with tacos, you should be able to do it with home hardware and stuff. And so, you know, <laughs> love it. Yep. Uh, awesome. So. This has been tremendous, Marty. How can people connect with you if they want to learn more about uh, not only what we've talked about, but you have so many other initiatives and in the ways you're changing the world. How can they be part of that? If they like uh, the American presidents and want to see the legacy of each of the presidents, uh, we're at uh, www.presidentialservicecenter.org. And that's where we celebrate all the very best things that you can possibly find and learn about the presidents. But surprisingly, we also showcase their downfalls and the things that they did not do well. And so that's where the real learning comes. Like you said before, we have got to embrace the truth of life on earth 
and the cycle of life, which means positive and negative. They are both good. You can't start your car in the morning without a battery. I don't care who you think you are. You can't be positive all the time. It doesn't work. All these dumb books about be positive within your life. It's like, okay, yeah, bro, we are being positive. But you have to have negativity. The car won't start. Every cell, every molecule, every amoeba has positive and negative. It is the law of the universe. Stop ramming. Be positive in everything you do. No, it's okay to be negative also. In a meeting, you can be negative and say, I just think this is a dumb idea. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not only okay, but essential, right? Like to essential. your point. Yeah. It, An the essential world. law of the yeah. universe. Yeah. Positive must equal negative. It takes 50 50. Hmm. Love that. Well, this has been tremendous, Marty. I really am grateful. Thank you for sharing these stories, your wisdom with us, allowing people to connect to what you're doing. Uh, we'll put the, the link in the show notes uh, along with your bio so people can read even more about you and hopefully catch you on other channels as well. You're, you're out there speaking to a lot of groups, uh, creating a tremendous amount of, of great content. So I hope people will look you up and uh, be part of your world. Uh, thanks for being part of ours today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Exploring Leadership Show. To receive a free company health assessment that clarifies your company's greatest strengths and biggest opportunities to improve, visit warriorslead.com. We'll see you next time.